correct. <clears throat> All good. All those not favor say no. All right. Trade up papers. Let's go through them. You can just keep your hand. You can just keep your set. Somebody, somebody tried out with pepper also. There we go. Okay. So, somebody read his first question. Where is the first mention of the Sabbath in the Bible? Okay. Answer is. So is it Genesis 2, 1 through 3? I put, I put 2, 1 through 4. I put Say Genesis, again? I put Genesis 2, 1 through 4. I okay. put Genesis 2, 3. Okay. Somebody else? Two. Don't have answers? So technically Genesis 2, 2. And so if they have that, because after God created everything, he took uh, rest. Sabbat was the word, right? Is it Sabbat or Shabbat? I go either way on that one. I'm not the, the best Hebrew scholar. Okay, so if they got Genesis 2 2 somewhere there in within that, we'll give them grace uh, and go that. Somebody, second question. Why do you think that? To give, us, to give us an example. To give us an example. Okay, somebody want to add into that? Okay. Something along those lines? Because obviously, did God need to rest himself? No. Right? So then he did it intentionally, and I do believe that he did it as an example for us to show us, you know, that we do what? Six days? Work. Okay, so we do work, and then we need... Rest that rest on that seventh day. So to have a balance of life thing there. All right, somebody reads question three. When did the Sabbath begin for the Israelites? Okay, so when did it start? Friday night at sundown. Okay, Friday evening at sundown. Evening or evening? Does it have to be sundown or can it be evening and sundown? We'll, we'll you know, again, we'll, t we'll give grace on that. That it's, you know, the key is, is that when you hit that, the sun going down, which people would say evening, and then the next day. So it'd be Friday evening, and then Saturday during the day. Somebody hits with four. What was prohibited on the Sabbath? Okay. So what was prohibited? Work. Okay, work, labor. Harbor. Something, <coughs> yep, <coughs> something along those lines. Five. What day of the week is the Sabbath for the Israelites? Okay. What day is it? Friday evening through Saturday. Friday evening through Saturday. Okay, good. All right, somebody read a six. Come on now. For that last question, does it count if they just put Saturday? Um, no, I don't think we're going to give that much grace because we've got to, we've got to, Always understand that it's starting in the evening time, and uh, we'll talk about that a little bit. All right, so somebody, what were we on there? Uh, six. Okay, somebody, six. Now, I know you all can read. So. Why are Christians confused and conflict together keeping Okay, so what's the confusion? What's going on there? 
Okay, so there is the confusion on should we or should we not keep it? Why is there that confusion? Where is it coming from? Okay. Because Jesus fulfilled the old covenant and replaced it with the new covenant. Yes, so Jesus fulfilled and specifically he fulfilled the Sabbath and that he is our Sabbath, right? And so that's where there is confusion because some people still think they're supposed to hold to the Old Testament law. But what we have to understand is that Jesus came and fulfilled the law. And so here's where we don't have to keep the Sabbath, but yet the learning that as man we need rest, we still need to have rest. Okay, So we don't need to be legalistic and keep the Sabbath, but yet within our week we need to be building in rest. So um, that's where for, for most people that don't have to work on Sunday, Sundays would be a good day uh, to have rest, uh, to be able to have Sabbath and focus more on God. So some uh, do seven for us. Do seven. Um, and as a bird in some Okay. You've been working too hard, so you need to go Sabbath. Okay, good sentence. Somebody else have another sentence they want to go ahead and read for us? This one says, I am going to take a Sabbath. Okay. So if we're going to take a Sabbath, technically Sabbath would be what part of speech? Yeah, it would be, be a noun. It would be the object of the sentence. The taking would be the actual verb in that. So it's a sentence with Sabbath in it, but not as the verb. Jay. Brandon said, when I work for six days, I need to take a sentence. Okay, so again, that's a noun, it's an object of the sentence. The taking is the verb. So, all right. Who read the first sentence? Lucas, did you read the first sentence? Or did you just say it off the top of your head? I just said it. Go ahead and say it for everybody. Which one? The... The Sabbath question, or the sentence. The sentence? Yeah. Uh, the Israelites would Sabbath once a week on the Sabbath. Yeah. So the Israelites would Sabbath. You know, okay, they're, they're verbing there. All right, so then we're up to eight. Go ahead now. So I'm read it. Why did Yahweh go to give the Israelites a Sabbath? So why did he do it? They were have so, so they could rest from their work and focus on God. Okay, sounds good. Somebody read nine. What is today's Christian supposed to take away from the principle of Sabbath found in the law of Moses? Okay, what's the principle we need to be taking away? That we need rest. That we need rest. There, there's a balance of life between working and resting. And we need to make sure that we're working on that balance. Ten. True or false? The Sabbath for the Jews is the same as the Lord's Day for Christians. What do you think? False, right off the paper. Okay. Okay. It is not the same. All right, somebody do 11 fours. True or false? Jesus violated the Sabbath when he kills. Okay. Did he violate the Sabbath? No. Why did he not violate the Sabbath? <clears throat> Well, he used the example that if their ox got stuck 
Okay, good. All right. 12, somebody? How did the Sabbath set Israel apart from all the other nations around them? How did it set them apart? You were the only nation to completely shut down Friday through Saturday. Yeah. If you think about you know, people having markets and doing their jobs you know, in that society, they would basically do it every day. You know, the market would be open every day. And so when the Hebrews come along and everything shuts down from sundown Friday to sundown Saturday, you know, it's just like, whoa, they're not trading. Why aren't you trading? And then that gives them the opportunity to explain, well, our God is different than your God. He gives us this Sabbath, this rest. And so we're living it out. And then the last question, 13. Why is a Christian not obligated to keep the Sabbath like a Jew on Moses' day? What has changed? Okay. Why do we not have to keep the Sabbath? What has changed? Christ gave us the new covenant. Christ gave us the new covenant. Jane? I don't know if this counts. When they gave a list of things you could do and things you don't have to do anymore. Okay. Well, those would be the things that have changed, I guess. So we'll give grace on that. All right. So count them up. How many did they get? Put that score in the top right-hand corner. Pass them to the middle, and I'll take them. So I don't think that you guys have... No. I don't, I don't think that you guys uh, have the big story. I don't think Pastor gave that to you yet. Correct? It's, it's not in the book. You score up the quiz for them. How many they got correct? Two wrong. So how many questions are on? Thirteen. So then how many did they get right? There you go. Seven Yes, ma'am. Thirteen. It's not really that bad. Okay, we're good. Can I have them? Can I have them? That right, Landon. My number one is wrong. That one's right. It said as long as verse two is in there somewhere. I thought he said one, one three, through four. Well, Genesis 2 2, but if it's in there, okay. then we'll give it to him. Make a little correction on there for us. Hey, more questions. Who's this? 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 Okay, great. Anybody still have the quiz out? All right. So here we go. We're going to talk today about somebody read the title for us. The big story of the Bible. All right. So we're going to walk through this, and basically what we're going to do is we'll read a paragraph so we get the overall context of the whole paragraph, but then we're going to walk through each sentence and just talk through uh, what is in there, what pastor uh, wants us to make sure that we're taking away from it, and then I'll probably add in uh, some things along the way also. So somebody go ahead and read us that first whole uh, paragraph there. Genesis is the first of 66 books in the Bible. Initially, the reader of the Bible may find himself thinking these books and stories are not connected. 
However, a closer look reveals one continuous story from the Tree of Life in Genesis 2 to the Tree of Life in Revelation 22. The narrative begins in the paradise of Eden, with God dwelling with Adam and Eve, and the story ends in a new paradise with God dwelling with his people in perfect harmony and peace forever. The Bible's meta-narrative, fake story, has four major movements, creation, fall, redemption, and new creation. The first two occur in Genesis, and micro-examples of the other two appear in the Genesis account. Okay. So hopefully you're seeing that we're going to be talking about this big picture story from scripture. That's what we're gonna work through today. Uh, and then that'll be um, what your homework is about. No, your homework is actually about um, the ancient serpent. So never mind, you don't have homework on that. So somebody go ahead and then now let's go back, read us the first uh, two sentences. Go actually just read the first sentence. Genesis is the first. Genesis is the first of 66 books in the How do we end up with those 66 books? Multiple writers. Say, Landon? Multiple writers. Yeah, multiple, multiple writers. Okay, so we have multiple writers. Somebody else, how do we get 66 books? What's that? The history of the world. The history of the world? In what way? Okay. So, so we do have a narrative history through it. Okay. Who's the main character in the Bible? God. Okay, God is. Is man in the Bible? Yes. Yes, but the major character is God. God. You know, we always have to make sure we're doing that. Okay. Um, so, somebody read the second sentence. Initially, the reader of the Bible may find himself thinking these books and stories are not connected. Why might people think that the different stories that are all throughout the Bible are not connected? Because they're written by different writers. Yeah, because they're written by different people? Good. Why else? It doesn't flow together. Often it doesn't. It'll seem like it's choppy. Sometimes what happens with the timeline? It changes and... It kind of goes back and forth. Yeah. Sometimes it changes and it's still going forward, but sometimes it changes and it goes back and forth. And then sometimes we have blocks of time that we don't have anything about. But that's where when we always look at Scripture being the story of God, God is throughout all 66 books. Somebody go ahead and read us the next sentence there. However, a closer look reveals one continuous story from the tree of life in Genesis 2 to the tree of life in Revelation 22. So what's Pastor mentioning here, this tree of life picture? What is he pointing out? That's in the first and last book. Okay, so we have to understand that the tree of life is in the first and it's in the last book. And interestingly enough, if we think about Jesus dying on the cross, Sometimes the cross is referenced to as a tree. And so there's even this picture of tree to tree to tree uh, to give it even more of a holistic, cohesive picture in that. Okay, somebody go ahead and hit us with the next sentence. The narrative begins in the paradise of Eden with God dwelling with Adam and Eve. And the story ends in a new paradise with God dwelling with his people perfect harmony and peace forever. So what do we see about the story of God? What do we see about this big picture? 
it starts in paradise and then in paradise. So we've got two wonderful, fantastic locations in the beginning and then for all of eternity. What else do we see within those two comparisons? God dwelling with us. Say it, say it, Evie. God dwelling with us. Yeah, God dwelling with us. And not only is God dwelling with us, but how are we together with Him? Peace and harmony. Yeah, yeah we got peace and harmony. You know, everything is going well. Okay, somebody hit us with the next sentence there. The Bible's meta narrative, big story, has four major movements creation, fall, redemption, and new creation. So when you got the big term there, meta narrative, what what is that term? What's it what's it mean? How do you define meta narrative? Big story. Hey, there you go, Landon. Yeah, when in doubt, just go with what is on the paper. So yeah, meta narrative is the big story. Somebody want to give a little more into what you think meta narrative means? Summation of the entire story. Yeah, and, and so when we look at narrative okay so that is the storyline and then meta would bring it to being a summation or an overview of the timeline and so when we think about other books they also have meta narratives right so you can look at the summation of the timeline of the dialogue of what is happening in a story so the key is we're using this because we want to always make sure that we remind ourselves that the 66 books are, are all connected together and that they are all one story because that story is a story of who? God. Yeah, it's a story of God. Many people over the years, many believers, many Christians, many church members, when they dig way in, they see the man in each of the stories and they see the human stories and they elevate those and they downplay God in it. And we don't want to do that. Right? We want to make sure that we're always thinking from the perspective, wherever we're reading in Scripture, okay, how are we seeing God in this? What is God doing? All right, That's what we want to focus on first. Now, there are truths about man and we want to make sure that we see those and pull those out. But we don't want to ever downplay God. We always want to you know, make sure we're focusing on Him. Okay, then we've got one more sentence. The first two occur in Genesis, and micro-examples of the other two appear in the Genesis account. Okay, so what's Pastor meaning there when he says the first two occur in Genesis? Creation okay, so he's talking about the creation and the fall. Right. They both happen in Genesis. Yes, they both literally happen in Genesis during what is written there. Now, he goes into this, micro examples can be found of the other two in Genesis. So what is a micro example of something? Like a very small example. Okay, a very small example, good. How else could we define a micro example? It's the same thing, but a smaller scale. Okay, so it's the same thing on a smaller scale. So what we have to understand is it's not the true full event, but yet it's a picture of that event. It's kind of a, a pre, you know, here's a, a little taste of it. So when we think about the redemption and the new creation, when does redemption take place? 
So it's on the New Testament, okay? Starting with the cross, Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, and then we live out redemption within our lives if we become believers and we are believers and we live through sanctification. We're continually being redeemed by the Holy Spirit working through us, becoming more and more Christ-like. So the actual event is New Testament through our lives. But yet, that's when we can look back into Genesis because that's what this class is doing. It's really looking in detail at Genesis. And within that, we see little glimpses of redemption going on. And so, what is the Proto-Evangelum? You guys might not have talked about it in class yet, but... Those of you that you know go to church here uh, have heard pastor use that term, plus others uh, preaching use that term proto-evangelum. So evangelum meaning gospel, proto meaning first gospel. Jade? Why Jesus set out the disciples? No, no, we're going way back. So in Genesis 3... Oh. 15. Oh. Oh. Oh, the light bulb went on. Tell us, Landon. When um, God was talking to the serpent and Eve and Adam, he told them that um, that um, somebody would crush the head of the serpent and someone would bite it. It's yeah. Yep. So that's where you know, God the Father's talking and he's like, yes, Satan, you will you know, bruise his heel, but... He's going to crush your head. And so right there in Genesis 3, when sin takes place, when the fall takes place, then we have this glimpse of redemption is coming. God is going to provide redemption. And so that's that micro example. That's that little picture of what is to come. All right. And then when we look at the new creation, what would be a glimpse of new creation, a micro example of new creation in Genesis? After the flood? Yeah. What happens after the flood? They have to start all over. Yeah. yeah. Who's starting over? Noah's family. Yeah. Noah and his family are starting over. And so that's kind of that picture of what is going to happen at the end of the earth days, the original earth on that. Okay, great. So now let's go ahead and we're going to walk through uh, all four of them in the next 45 minutes. And we'll kind of kind of do it twice. We're going to walk through this sheet. And then I've got some other little passages of Scripture. Hopefully we'll have enough time that we can uh, work through those. So somebody go ahead and give us a read on the creation information. Yes, whole paragraph. The details of God creating the heavens and the earth are presented in Genesis 1 and then presented again with more specifics. In chapter 2. The first three days are devoted primarily to separating, while the remaining days are focused on filling the sea, sky, and land with the sun, moon, stars, and then the earth with fish, birds, animals. On day 6, God creates domestic animals, wildlife, and humans. Males and females are made in his image, and he gives and he gives them two mandates. First, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, and second, subdue the earth dominion over every living thing that moves on the earth. In chapter 2, God put Adam in the garden to begin to do it, and he exercised dominion over all living creatures, first by name. Finally, God gave Adam and Eve a moral choice in the garden. Okay, so that kind of gives us just an overview of Genesis 1 and 2. 
All right, so we see that picture of creation, what God is doing. So now let's go back and let's talk in a little bit more detail there. And so somebody reread for us that first sentence. The details of God creating the heavens and the earth are presented in Genesis 1 and then presented again with more specifics in chapter 2. Okay, so what's the difference between Genesis 1 and Genesis 2? Genesis 1 is going through all the days, and okay. Genesis 2 is expounding on a certain day. Yes, very good. So in Genesis 2, what do we see in much more detail? Day 6. Okay, day 6. And what's the big events that are taking place? The creation of man. Okay, the creation of man. And so, you know, I think it's just interesting how God does that, that, you know, he creates us in, in what how are we created? In His image. Okay, we're created in His image and His likeness. And His likeness. All right. Now, is that like all the other animals in the world? No. Okay. No, it is not. You know, we are special. Now, are we special just because we're special? No, we're special because God wanted us to be special. And he chose to create us in his image. And so we get to see that in much more detail in Genesis 2. Now, sadly, there is a subtle little nuance uh, that takes place between Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 that we technically shouldn't have in our Bible, but we do. Anybody know what that is? It's not in that sentence there. The chapter break. Yeah, the chapter break. All right. What's going on with the chapter break, Bethany? It cuts off day seven from chapter one. Yeah. So, so technically, where should the chapter break be? Verse four. Verse Not quite there. It really, we should have Genesis chapter one should go the whole way through to one. Right. That's the finish of the overarching summary, and then Genesis two two can be where we start in there. Sadly, why do we get that bad break point? Because somebody invented chapter breaks? Yes, yeah, chapter breaks versus is a human creation, right? And so that's not inspired. You know, that is not God breathed. You know, that is not what God did. Now, I'm happy that we have those. It makes it much easier for us to talk about things and be able to go to the same place. But yet we have to realize when we're reading scripture, those are not coming from God, and so sometimes we have to be willing to move you know, passages uh, into another chapter or a paragraph to be able to make better sense of it. Okay, so somebody go ahead and hit us with that next, uh, that next verse, sentence. It starts with the first. The first three days are devoted primarily to separating, while the remaining days are focused on filling the sea, sky, and land with the sun, moon, and stars, and the earth with fish, birds, and animals. So what does that mean that we got separating and then we've got filling going on? What's the big picture there? God was separating like darkness from light, water from land, and then he filled it up, them all up. So he creates the big part of creation, but then he's separating it out. He's creating and starts with an O. Creating an order, you know, he's creating order throughout the creation by dividing it up, separating it out. And then the second three days we get the filling 
what's taking place with the filling. God fills the sky with the sun, moon, and stars, and then fills the land with the creatures. Yeah. yeah. So, so he creates the big picture of creation, and then he fleshes it out, and he gives it further order and more detail within that. Great. Good. Somebody go ahead and his with the second or the next sentence. On. On day six, God creates domestic animals, wildlife, and humans. So then, um, again, it's more specific. It's more separated. Next sentence. Males and, males and females are made in his image, and he gives them two mandates. Well, all right. So both males and females are created in his image. So being created in God's image does not deal with what? Gender. Yeah. It does not deal with gender. What else does it not deal with? What we look like. What we look like. Yeah. The physical attributes of man is not part of being created in God's image. It is within us. uh, that, That when God breathes into us, that's being made into his image. Being able to relate to him, have a relationship with him. Uh, having a spiritual, a soul. Uh, those are the aspects of being connected, being made in his image and in his likeness. Next sentence. First, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And second, subdue the earth and have dominion over every living thing that moves on the earth. So be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. What is happening there? Okay, so you're making family. All right, keep going. What else is that a a picture of or paint the picture of what is taking place? You have to fill the earth. Okay, So, so beyond the garden, filling the whole earth. What is God expecting? Us to multiply. Okay, so... We're multiplying, you know, we're having children, we're having bigger families. You know, to me, one key aspect is since he created us in his image and he wants us to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, God is looking for his image to fill the whole world. He wants image bearers of him all around the world. He wants worship of him all around the world. Now, then the next part there, having dominion. What does that mean? What does that look like? To rule over. Say, Landon. To rule over. Okay, so we're ruling over. Okay. How, how else does that look? How else does that come out for us? To be responsible for it. Yes, you know, we, we have to understand that, yes, we get to use creation, but yet there's a responsibility in the way we use it. You know, we need to be good stewards. Now, we need to be good stewards of specifically, like if you work and you get finances, you need to be good stewards of your family. But yet when we think about God giving us the whole world and everything that's within it, we need to be good stewards of that. We need to take care of it. You know, we have we have a responsibility that is there. And interestingly enough, in that next sentence, somebody read it. In chapter two, God put Adam in the garden to be good stewards, and he exercised dominion over all living creatures, but first by name. 
And so just a simple picture that God gives us that starts that dominion, starts that ruling, is Adam gets to name them. And so when we think through when you get a pet, right? You get to name the pet. As parents, when you have a baby, you get to name the baby. And then interestingly enough, throughout Scripture, what do we see a few different times? God renaming people. Yeah, God renames people. Why is He doing that? Yeah, you know, He's showing His authority. And then something special is happening at that point with that person and how God's going to interact with and through that person moving forward. And then the, the last one there, last sentence. Finally, God gave Adam and Eve a moral choice in the garden. So what was that moral choice of creation? Um, he gave them the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Okay. And what was the moral choice about the tree of good and evil? To eat the fruit or not. Yeah, to eat the fruit or not. Because we have to understand the picture of Adam and Eve. What were they eating? Fruit of the trees. Yeah. What were they not eating? Meat. Okay. Yeah, we have to realize that. So when does that change? After they eat the fruit. Okay. The, the, the good and evil starts after they eat the fruit. But what they eat in general, when does that change? When they leave the garden. Is it when they leave the garden? No. Or is it after another big event that we've actually already referenced today? It's after the flood. Right? So after the flood at that point, then God allows them to eat meat. Alright, so that's just a picture of creation there. So we know that it takes place in Genesis. Now interestingly enough, as Pastor talks about, we see redemption and new creation in micro examples within Genesis. Within creation, we also see micro examples or references back to creation throughout the rest of the Bible. And so as we talk through creation, fall, redemption, new creation, we have to understand that we see those four in different places with different elements all throughout Scripture. And again, we might see the event right here, but then we have micro examples or references being made in other places. So somebody go ahead and give us a read on the fall of man. With only one prohibitive commandment, but the but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you shall you shall not eat. In Genesis two seventeen, I am you disobey God and fell from their state of innocence. Okay, so we pick up right there after creation. We have the one prohibitive commandment that they're not to eat. All right, but what do they do? They eat. So, what is disobedience? Say, Gyron. Okay. You know, it's when we do something we're not supposed to do. We know it, we understand it, and we disobey. Right? Now, technically, delayed obedience is it's disobedience also. I know that's not in here, but I just thought I'd throw that out there just for a little extra this morning. All right, somebody go ahead and hit us with the next sentence. Neither have ever sinned. 
Do one more time. Neither. <laughs> <laughs> well, we had stereo, but it was kind of like, you know, I didn't know if you heard it there, right? So up until this point, neither had sinned. And then the last sentence talked about innocence. What 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 is innocence? Not knowing. Okay, not knowing. How else could we define it? So in the justice system, if you're innocent, what does that mean? Okay, you didn't do it. So we have the innocence and not sinning are basically the same thing. It's a picture of that same thing that is going on. Okay, so someone read the net or someone read the next sentence for us. They were created in perfection in the image of God, but they were not robots programmed only to obey God. So we have to think through that God gave us the ability to obey or not obey. And so if we choose to like Adam and be Adam and Eve and not obey, then we are what? Disobedient. We're disobedient. And we have We've sinned. And that's where we have to come to that understanding. We need to realize that within our own lives. And so as you guys are, you know, preteens and teenagers, you're having an awareness. You know, you're smart enough. You've experienced enough of the world. You you have a, a, a picture of the way things are supposed to be from God. And you get to make choices now. And are you going to align those choices and be obedient to God? Or are you going to be disobedient? And there's going to be ramifications. There's going to be consequences to that. Right. Somebody hit us with the next sentence there. God gave them a moral choice to obey or not to obey. Yeah, we'll talk about that. Do the next sentence. Deceived by the serpent's words, Eve ate, ate and both were instantly aware of good and evil. Now, Pastor has an interesting uh, take on this story. We know that Satan fell at some point. Most people would say we don't have that picture of when he fell, but yet we have it referenced that he fell and then he took who with him? Who volunteered to go with him? The seraphims. Okay, so who are the seraphims? They're hiding. Okay, so part of the angelic beings there and how many went so we have a third uh, going two thirds stayed we see that in Revelation we don't see it in Genesis here but we see it later on and so pastors take on this is that this is actually when Satan disobeyed God it wasn't before this time it was actually at this moment in the garden as he's deceiving Eve, as he's there with Adam and Eve and working through this and tempting them to eat of the fruit, that this is actually when he falls, when he is trying to be God himself, when he's trying to influence this change on them to be disobedient, to disobey. He's deceiving them. He's bringing this deception in and they go along with it, sadly. And, and sadly, you know, we know that uh, Adam is given, you know, headship in the family, and, and he's right there. And what does he not do? Mm-hmm. He does not step in. Right? If you abdicate, what, what does that mean? What's that term? You step down. Okay, it can mean an official stepping down, or that you do not fulfill. 
all right? And so he's abdicating his responsibility here in this picture. He should have stepped up and he should have stepped in between Satan and Eve and he should have put a stop to this, but he did not do that. And so he, he is not exercising the rights and responsibility that God gives him as the head of that family. Somebody go ahead and read the next paragraph for us. Paragraph or sentence? Or sentence, sorry, yeah. Their evil was the knowledge that they had disobeyed God's one command. So now what did they have? Yeah, so they had this great knowledge of good and evil. So now they really saw things that were not the way God wanted them to be. And they were able to see that and understand that. Did God want them to experience this? No, he did not want them to experience this. And so interestingly enough, what's going to be in new creation? There's not going to be sin. And so we'll be cleansed of all this that God didn't want them to have in the beginning. And so we see this picture of the way God created things will be how they will be in the new creation. You know, that perfect, we talked about it. What did they have in the beginning in the garden? Paradise. Okay, it was paradise and they experienced peace and harmony. So then for us in the new heavens and the new earth, we're going to experience peace and harmony. And we're going to be with God and we're going to have a great relationship with Him if you are what? If you're a Christian, if you're a believer. But we also have to understand that when we get the new creation, the new heaven and the earth, the new Jerusalem, what will also take place? For those that are not Christians, those that are not believers. Their judgment. Okay, so they will be judged and they will be forever separated from God and they will be experiencing, you know, trials and torment, uh, punishment, pain in that. Okay, so next sentence for us here under the ball. In an instant, sent them to the world and death through sin spread through the whole, spread through the whole human race. So what do we have to understand began at that point? That there was no death before they sinned. Okay, so there was no death, but now there is. What else do we understand that begins at that point? That everyone will be born with a sin nature. Yes. You know, sadly, because of what Adam and Eve did, at that point, they're going to pass that on now. With this knowledge of good and evil, they're going to pass on that sin nature, that flesh, to every single person. Nobody escapes that. Next sentence. In Genesis 4, Cain kills Abel out of jealousy and envy, and Lamech promises to be more sinful than Cain. So there we see a huge sin entering right there after you know they're cast out. You have Cain and Abel and the slaying there. And then we get Lamech, and he's like, man, I'm going to be even worse. And so when we look at our world, we have to understand that since everybody has this fallen nature, this sin nature, that is why people are so evil. That is why things are broken. That's why disease is here. And for you... 
Maybe you have a hard time understanding why people are so evil. And that's good. I'm glad that, that you don't want to be that evil. But sadly, across everywhere, everybody is evil to some extent. Even you. You're evil to some extent because you are a sinner. Right? Now, we might not all be as bad as Hitler, but yet we all sin, we all disobey, we all are selfish. Right? So, so look at each other for a second there and say, I just want you to know you're selfish. We just have to realize that. You know? and, and, and often there might be an appearance of us doing good, but yet if it's outside of the Holy Spirit, if it's outside of God, are we really doing something pure good? No. And when we look at lost people in the world, we might see that they do something people would say, well, that's a good thing. You know, philanthropy, where they're giving money to different causes. Oh, they're, man, they're such a good person and they're helping out. Uh, within that, they're feeling good that they're giving that money. They're also getting tax breaks when they give that money and they're getting attention when they get that money. And so they're not doing it out of pure goodness motives. And so that's where we have to understand sin contaminates everything outside the Holy Spirit, outside of God working in and through us. There is nothing good within you or me. Now that can be hard because you know your parents look at you and you're their precious babies. And you know, they're just like, oh, you know, I just love them so much, everything. But yet, you know, as you're preteens and teens, you know, you're coming of this age where you know, you're making choices and you're fully aware of those choices. And you need to be understanding the effects of those choices. All right, somebody hit us with the next sentence. All worsens. So it's just getting worse. It's not getting better. Next sentence. Other falls can be seen when other falls can be seen when righteous Noah gets drunk. And someone ungodly, ha- something ungodly happens in his tent, or when all of humanity was not filling the earth, instead they were building a tower to the heavens, or Abram was telling half truths about Sarah being his sister. And then we can bring that even into our life. You know, when we look at our lives and we sin, we're re experiencing that fall, so to speak. We're falling each time that we sin. And so as we read through scripture and we see people in sin, sin that's getting called out, again, we're seeing a picture, a micro example of the fall, the effects of the fall, things that are connecting back to the original fall that happened in Genesis 3. And so again, we've got this overarching meta narrative, the big story, God's story, and we're seeing these four components over and over at different times being connected back and forth throughout all of scripture and it's just it's very helpful for us to be able to see how different passages connect to creation fall redemption or the new creation right. so let me read that last sentence the need for redemption is an ever-present reality and so uh, all have sinned and fall short and so that's where Every single person. So population of the world right now is about how many people? 
billion, Pretty close to eight billion, yeah. right? It's 7.8, somewhere there, 7.9 billion people. Right? Statistics would say at best, how many believers in the world? One billion. Okay. Actually, a little bit under a billion. You know, at best, they would say 8% of the world population. I think that's a, a, a generous uh, number on that. And so there's less than a billion believers in the world. And so how many unbelievers in the world? A lot, yes. Okay. Can we, can we throw a number out there? Uh, there's, yeah, there's, a, there's over 7 billion lost people in the world. And that's a number that you will hear from me um, if not every time that I preach, almost every time that I preach. And when I teach Sunday school and, and uh, Wednesday night Bible study, I don't say it every week, but yet I will repeat back to that. To me, it's important for us as believers to realize how many lost people are in the world, how many unbelievers are in the world. God has given us a great commission. And what is that great commission? Do not go out and spread the gospel to all nations. Yep. We need to be going out, we need to spread the gospel to all nations and making disciples. We need to help people understand who God is so that they can believe, so that they choose to believe. Now, technically, there's general revelation throughout all the world, and so everybody is on the hook for being able to understand that there is a God, that there is a Creator, and that they should be seeking Him out and having a relationship with Him. But yet, God also tasks you and me, if we're believers, to be on mission, to be the laborers, to be going out there, to be helping people to see God more clearly. All right, so now we're going to go on to redemption. So I'm going to go ahead and hit us with the whole paragraph. The reader of Genesis sees redemption with being saved from sin for the first time when Yahweh sheds the blood of an animal so Adam and Eve's nakedness could be covered. Genesis 3.21 Awareness of nakedness was one of the first consequences of their sin. Then God saved eight souls from his global judgment of sin in an ark. In Genesis 22, the angel of the Lord saves Isaac's life with a ram caught in a thicket that gives its life, and Isaac is saved. The ram dying instead of Isaac serves as a type and foreshadowing of the substitutionary death of the Son of God for the sins of the whole world. Jesus of Nazareth is both, both Isaac and the ram. He is the ultimate son of Abraham through whom the covenant will be fulfilled. He is the Lamb of God, offering himself to save humanity from the bondage of sin and death. In Jerusalem, the Christ, Yahweh's Messiah, was crucified, buried, and rose again on the third day to redeem all who believe in him for their salvation from sin and the second death. Okay, so when we look at redemption, Within the meta-narrative, within the big story, within God's story, when did redemption actually start? The redemption. When? With who? Adam. Adam. No. When we finished out that paragraph, who did we finish with? Okay, we finish with Christ. You know, we have to understand in the meta narrative in Genesis, what are the two pieces that took place within the meta narrative that happened in Genesis? 
creation. creation and the fall. They literally happen in Genesis, in Genesis, in that narrative timeline. At what point did redemption happen? Yeah, with Christ on the cross. That's when it took place on the timeline in the meta narrative. But as Pastor referenced in the opening paragraph, in Genesis, we have what of redemption? Micro-examples? We have the micro examples. And so that's what he's talking about here as we read through this. And so the first part there was they realized that they were naked. They realized they didn't have any clothes on. And so what did God do? He killed an animal to give them clothes. Yeah, he killed an animal. And so that's the first shedding of blood. blood right? And so that's a picture of Christ, of the, of the true redemption that is going to come. And so that's that micro example. And so that's what, when I talked about a little bit ago, you're going to see the big events of the creation, the fall, redemption, and the new creation at specific points in scripture along the meta narrative. But yet then you're going to see these micro examples or these pictures back or these connections back or these links to it all throughout the 66 books. And so that's why it's very important to learn this big story, this God story, because that's going to help you every time you read scripture to come back to, oh, this is a story about God. Yeah, we might be talking about Abraham, but we're talking about Abraham because we're talking about God. We might be talking about Jacob, but we're talking about Jacob because we're talking about God. We might be talking about, you know, Paul or Peter, but we're talking about God. And that's where we have to always be very careful because if we think that the Bible is about man and man's the main character, we're going to miss so much. You know, we have to always be circling back to the Bible is God's story. And that's why it's so important to walk through this and picture this so we can make those connections. So then when we look at Noah, how is that a picture of redemption? He was saving them from his judgment of yeah. the world. Yeah. God judged the world. What happened to everybody except for those family members? They died. They died. We, we have to understand that. You know? uh, that's not the most pleasant things to think through and talk through in Scripture, but it's a reality that we have to come to understand because when we think about that 7 billion, over 7 billion people in the world being lost, when they die an earthly death, what does that also mean? Yes. You know, they're also going to have that second death, that spiritual death, which means they're going to be condemned. They're going to be damned for all of eternity. You know, every time we think about believers and we think about being with God in the new creation for all of eternity, we have to think about those seven billion won't be. And so we can celebrate and we can feel good within ourselves for us and other believers. But yet we always need to be reminded of those that don't have that personal relationship with God. And they're not going to experience that. That's what should be driving us to be disciples that make disciples that make disciples. We should want to be on mission with God. We should be wanting God to use us. And that's one of those that it comes just straight out of Scripture. So we see that also with the ram there with uh, Isaac 
and that Isaac was not killed, but the ram was sacrificed. Again, the ram being a picture of redemption, being a picture of Jesus, that Jesus is the lamb, that he is sacrificed. And so now we've got to pick up the pace. And So new creation. Somebody go ahead and hit us with that paragraph. The final movement is consummation. Consumption? Consumption. Consummation. Consummation and restoration. Genesis 6 through 9 presents a micro, micro example of new creation. God ends all life on this earth and starts over with a new earth, with only those saved in the ark. The global destruction of the earth by means of a flood foreshadows the eventual end, an end that doesn't happen because of global warming, meteor strike, or a nuclear war. God has already determined the end. Having secured the redemption of all who will be saved, Christ Jesus returns to the earth to bring the story to an end and start a new one. He will destroy Satan, the Antichrist, the false prophet, and all his enemies, raise the dead, the saved, and the lost, and judge all of humanity. The lost are sentenced to an eternity in the lake of fire. At the same time, the redeemed are given glorious bodies and granted entrance to the eternal kingdom on this new earth. Magnificently were recreated with King Jesus ruling on his Father's throne for all eternity. The ancient serpent is defeated once and for all, and everything that the fall lost will be restored even better in and through Christ. So, again, as we look at the meta narrative, at the big story, at God's story, the new creation will take place at what point on the human timeline? When all who have been sick, who are going to be sick, are sick. Okay, so it's on the timeline of the end of this earth, okay, this present time period. We don't know when that will be. So when we look at the Bible, where do we see that? What book, especially? Revelation. Yeah, we see that in Revelation. So again, just like creation took place in Genesis, well, I guess I should do it this way so it's for you guys. It took place in Genesis. The fall took place in Genesis. The redemption took place with the cross with Jesus. The new creation is going to take place in the Bible timeline of Revelation. But yet, we see new creation, as Pastor talks about here, within Noah and the flood and everything being created new and Noah and his family starting over again, all of humanity coming from them. And so when we think about everybody comes from Adam and Eve, but also every comes everybody comes from Noah and his wife. You know, so that's all of our great, 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 great grandparents. And for you, I will add a great, 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 a couple more in there on that since you're younger than Mr. Art and I on that. So we see the new creation, the full restoration taking place in the new heavens and the new earth. But yet we also see micro examples of restoration all along through the Bible. And as believers, that process of sanctification is also that restoration as that redemption is carried out. As we grow in Christ's likeness, the more we're like Christ, the more we're like who God wanted us to be. And we're getting back to being created in his image. The less sin that is in your life and is in my life, we're imaging God more. 
the likeness of God is more visible for those that are around us. And so, yes, the full new creation will take place when we're in the eternity going forward, but yet we also have a new creation within each believer. And when does that take place within a believer? When are we as people a new creation? When we're reborn? Yeah. When we accept, when we surrender to Christ, when we believe in Him, when we believe Christ is Savior and Lord. And Pastor mentioned this on Sunday morning. You know, we always have to understand when we believe in Christ, we're believing in Him as our Savior and our Lord, you know, as our King, that He is ruling and reigning in our lives. It's not that we believe Jesus can save us and so we believe in Him as Savior today and then at some point down the road we believe that He's Lord of our life and King of our life and He he rules in our life. No, that point is at the same point. And so sometimes when you hear people's testimonies they'll kind of give a two-stage testimony. That's not possible. Something is off in their perception. Either they did believe in Jesus as Savior and Lord at this point, but then they really saw Lordship coming out more later in life, but yet they they believed here, or they didn't actually ever believe truly within themselves, within their heart, as Jesus as Savior and Lord until this later point to when they saw the Lordship being lived out, when they saw that King ruling and reigning over them. And so, again, I tell you guys that, so as you're processing through this and you're around other young people that are processing through, what are you believing? Is it a head knowledge of Christ that you're believing in, that you believe from a knowledge standpoint that Jesus is the Savior of the world and He is the Lord of the world, the King of Kings? Or are you believing it within you? Now, if you're only having head knowledge, it's just something that you understand. But if you believe it within you, if it's a belief within your heart, within who you are, then your actions are going to be affected by that belief. And so we we always want to process through that because we don't want more lost people to stay lost. We want people to come to Christ, to surrender, to be believers within that. How much time we got left? Okay, we got we got a few minutes left. Uh, take your Bibles real quick. I want us to jump to, to Psalm uh, ninety verse two. I just want to pick out uh, a verse in each of creation, fall, redemption, new creation, uh, just to point out an aspect. And so in Psalm 90, verse 2, somebody give us a read there. Even before the mountains came into existence, or you brought the world into being, you were the eternal God. What is that a picture of? Say, say Landon. When God created the earth. Okay, so within that passage, there is pointing to creation. What else is being pointed out in that verse? God is forever. Yes. And so we have 
here was creation. Where was God? When was God? Yeah, he was already there. He has already been. So when we think about creation, that's just the creation of what we know and what we understand. It's not the beginning of God. It's our beginning. It's mankind's beginning. It's the earth's beginning. It's not God's beginning. And so we have to be careful sometimes when we say in the beginning. That reference in Genesis 1 is in the beginning for what we comprehend. It's not the beginning of God. God has always been on that. Okay. Um, let's go to Romans 1.25. give us a read. Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. What's that picture describing? What's that verse describing? What's the picture that verse is painting? Okay, It is painting the picture of the fall within every person. And interestingly enough, what does it say that they did? They exchanged the truth for a lie, and then that caused them to what's next? Worship. Yeah, they, they worshiped part of creation. And so when we think about being created in God's image, part of being created in God's image and in his likeness is we are created to worship. All of us. Now the question is, what or who are we worshiping? You worship all the time. The challenge is, are you being honest about what you're worshiping or who you're worshiping? If you're gonna be a believer, what is the center of our worship? God has to be the center of our worship. But sadly, even for believers at times, what gets worshiped? The creation, what aspects of creation do people worship? They might worship money. They might worship themselves. Other famous people. They might worship other people, famous or even not famous, you know, on that. Okay. All right. So now let's jump to, let's see, uh, let's pick out, let's go to Ephesians 2. Seven, eight, and nine. Okay, somebody read that for us. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. Read 10 also. Sorry. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So this is a picture of redemption coming through Christ. That he paid the price for us. It's not something you did or I did. It's totally a gift. 
right? That that God is giving us, and then we participate, we accept that gift, we live out within that gift, and then we have to understand that part of believing, part of you know being a believer, part of that redemption is that He's created good works for us, and we live out those good works. Okay, one more passage. Just jump real fast to Revelation twenty-one. Okay, somebody go ahead and read us there, verses 1 through 4. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. That is the new creation being started right there. Sadly, the next verses then highlight that there's going to be a separation between believers and unbelievers for all of eternity. So as we close out today... We think through the meta narrative. We think about the big story. We think about God's story, and we think about creation, fall, redemption, and then that new creation. So now we have homework.